Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 21 of the Runner Rams podcast. As always, I'm Gavin Bishow. And I'm Colin Struckman. And today we're recapping URI's loss against Duquesne. We're looking ahead to their A-10 tournament matchup against Dayton. We'll look ahead to the A-10 tournament as we welcome on special guest Kevin Weiner to the show. We discuss everything roadie hoops and A-10 tournament to get you ready for the upcoming tournament in Virginia. We're also going into the A-10, everything that's going on in the conference as we get set for the tournament. We look ahead to our picks and we recap our picks. We got a lot to get into, so let's get into it. Karan Iverson clears it. Iverson gets away from the defense, dribbles into the forecourt. Iverson going up. He dunks it home as the buzzer sound. And Rody, the A-10 champs. With four, Oda, 30 feet away, jumper in the air, he's got it! Lamar Oda has won it for Rhode Island! Seconds left to the corner, shot for three by Stan. Terrell down to eight seconds, got to go right, in traffic, off-balance shot. Thank you! Jared Terrell! And for the first time since 2009, it's Rhode Island over Providence in the Ocean State First, I want to shout out Rody Sports on IG. That's Rody.Sports on Instagram, all lowercase Rody.Sports, the best edits, graphics, and up to date news for all Rhode Island Rams basketball, as well as give our uh, social medias a follow. That's uh, at Running Rams Pod on Twitter and Running.Rams.Pod, all lowercase on Instagram. Colin, the Rams went into Pittsburgh on Saturday night to take on Duquesne and try to get some sort of momentum. But as we know, they did not. They certainly didn't. They really could have used this game to help their standings in the A-10, but another lackluster performance, defensive performance rather, from this this Rams team didn't really play with high energy, high intensity in it. It cost them at the end of the night. The Duke shot out of the gate early and held a 9-point, 13-4 lead in the early going. Duquesne maintained control for the next five or so minutes until Rody went on a 12-3 run to turn what was a 10-point Duquesne lead into a one-point advantage with 5-21 to go in the first. Duquesne's lead grew by the break, and the Dukes were up 6-42-36 at halftime. Besides Rody getting within 6-58-52 with 11-13 to go in the second half, it was all Duquesne in the second half as the Rams played lackadaisical defense and sloppy offense en route to a 86-75 loss in Pittsburgh, the Rams couldn't stop big man Marcus Weathers, who had a career night netting 28 points and 14 rebounds, going 60% from the field. Chad Baker, who we mentioned last podcast, who had 19 points the last time out against the Rams in January, put up 21 for the Dukes on Saturday night, and guard Tavian Dunmartin added 14 points and six assists. Yeah, I mean, Chad Baker and Marcus Weathers just feasted down low and not having Mikel for a majority of this game. He was in foul trouble for a lot of this game. It really kind of hindered that Rams defense, really limited them defensively. And it seemed like no Ram forwards could grab any boards without Mikel. And Weathers stepped up and had an incredible 14 rebounds. He couldn't be stopped. And you were right. Yeah, lack of basical defense. As you mentioned, they just let you Duquesne fire away from three. Didn't really contest enough shots to win this game. 
just a pure all-around effort from, from, from Keith Dambrod and company, while the Rams only had one real thing to hang their hat on, and that was Fast Russell's great performance with 27 points and five assists, while Malik Martin had 10 points off the bench. But something to look at was the time on the floor. I, I don't know if Cox was resting anyone for the 8-10 tournament, because, uh, I mean, he might have had a 10 seed locked up. I really didn't know the schematics there, the mathematics there. But, yeah, I know Mikel's in foul trouble, but he's still, out of 40 minutes, played only 12 minutes as a starting forward. Ishmael Leggett, as a starting guard, played 17 minutes. And Jeremy Shepard, who we know now is injured, only played 14 minutes. So, a little confusing, especially with Mikel and Ishmael Leggett uh, there and why they didn't play as much. I, I don't know what to think of it as of now. Could be resting, but... I don't know. David Cox has his has different approaches when it comes to coaching. So we'll see what happens coming into the 8 10 tournament as they play Dayton. But it was again the roadie defense that hurt him mostly. Another 50 bomb performance from the floor for Duquesne at the Duke shot 53% from the field and 52.9% from three point range by the Rams. Only shot 41% from the field, going three for 17 from downtown. Yeah, just another horrendous three point shooting performance from URI. They couldn't really make anything from three in this game, and Fats was the only one that showed up. 27 points. It's disappointing. He's going out there every single game and doing everything he can to help this team, but he's surrounded just by a group of players that can't work as hard as him or, or don't give as much effort or intensity as he does, and it's definitely showing. But for you or I, I mean, putting up 75 points is is pretty good given the stats that we mentioned, but not being able to contain Duquesne's offense was, was Rody's downfall, I think, in the season finale. I have to agree, Colin. I mean, Verdon, look at it. They did a solid job rebounding. I mean, I mean, they, they tied him at rebounds at 36, and with Mikel off the floor a lot, and you had Marcus Weathers and Michael Hughes, you already did a solid job rebounding, tying them up in the rebounding margin, but and also did a great job on turnovers, a plus-seven turnover margin. URI only committing eight turnovers while forcing 15. So, I mean, in those facets where, like, usually we're like, all right, they got to hammer that, that home, they, they did great. But it was their wretched defense that haunted them in this one. Definitely. They could have used this game. They kind of dig themselves a little bit of a hole because it did have some A-10 tournament implications, but hopefully they learn from it because, I mean, it, they're going to have to take it one game at a time. Every game is your season's on the line pretty much. Have to act that way heading into the A-10 tournament, so we'll see what happens. The Rams dropped to 10-14 and 7-10 and in the 8-10 as they close out their 2020-2021 regular season on back-to-back -back losses. Definitely not ideal heading into the A-10 tournament. We're going to get into Dayton and the A-10 tournament, but we're going to bring in Kevin Weiner, a URI senior, to talk about roadie hoops upcoming, especially regarding around the A-10 tournament. Now I'd like to welcome on a special guest to the Running Rams podcast. It's Kevin Weiner. Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Doing good as well. So we got a little pack show here where we got the A-10 tournament coming up, obviously. URI's got a game on Thursday afternoon against Dayton. So we'll get into that game. Kevin, any thoughts on Dayton so far? Yeah, I think it's a it's going to be a tough matchup. Obviously, the two split in the regular season. Um, each team winning their respective game at home. Uh, Dayton in a lot more comfortable fashion than than URI. So, uh, with 
the senior night double overtime thriller. Um, it was back just a couple weeks ago on the 23rd. So I think it's going to be an interesting game. It's a tough opponent to draw in the third in the first round, but when you, you know, when you're the 10 seed, that's, that's how, it, how it goes. But so we'll see. It should be interesting. So Kevin's going to start off, just talk about you first, then we'll get into Dayton mainly. And then of course the eight ten tournament will start off. What is it like to be in the sports broadcasting program at the university of Rhode Island? It's been, it's been great. Um, I actually just finished up in December. So I uh, ended up finishing a little earlier. So I just graduated um, from the sports media program, which they just started a couple of years ago, but uh, it was really, really an awesome experience. Definitely learned a lot. I was a public relations major as well. And then I also minored in communications and, and business. Um, and a lot of the classes were really interesting. A lot of the sports classes I got to take. Um, but another really great part of it was uh, the internships and then the extracurricular activities I got to do while I was a member of the Harrington School and at, at URI. So um, I was a broadcaster for uh, a lot of the athletic teams, but this past year for the men's basketball team, I did a lot of color commentary for their games. Wasn't able to do as many games we would have liked because uh, obviously they weren't allowing media in for the majority of the season, but we did do a few games from our student union building, which was kind of interesting. Um, I also was uh, a president of our uh, sports media club, which was a lot of fun. Uh, we had an online platform for students to make podcasts, write articles, um, post to social media, create videos as well. So I got to meet a lot of great people, uh, a lot of great friends, and also get a lot of Great experience as well. I also interned with the athletic department with the media relations uh, team, which I really liked as well. Um, and I got experience, you know, writing on a deadline and things like that and getting to go to the game. So definitely, you know, really enjoyed my time at URI and certainly have taken a lot from it. And uh, yeah, and being a part of the athletic department and around the, the teams is definitely something I, I won't soon forget. Yeah, you mentioned calling the games on the radio for URI. What was that experience like for you? It was a lot of fun. I got to do it with, you know, a lot of my good friends. Um, my broadcast partner is my roommate. So it was fun for us to be able to go and do those games, um, you know, at a, on the, the radio station. You know, it's on the, the dial, too. It's kind of cool to be able to, you know, know that people are driving their cars around and able to, to listen to you. Um, but I also enjoyed it, the experience, just because, um, you know, it gave me kind of a real perspective of what it would be like to be a, you know, a broadcaster, um, being able to, to be, you know, sitting courtside and, and watching the games, getting a, a good view. And uh, it's also been a lot of fun to follow this team over my four years as well. Um, you know, my freshman year, they ended up making it to the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament back in 2018. And then last year, um, you know, potentially we're a bubble team kind of falling off the end, but then obviously that tournament got canceled. So a lot of great, you know, memories in the Ryan center and games. I, I got to call, um, was hoping to be able to, you know, travel and do some this year and, you know, even be heading down to the Atlantic 10 tournament, um, you know, as a senior, but obviously that doesn't, uh, doesn't fly right now, but still really enjoyed the experience and all the games I did get to call. You speak about the memories and the games you've called. Could you like, what has been your favorite game or favorite moment even uh, of being on the radio for you are basketball? Uh, I think it would have to be just that game a couple weeks ago. You know, you or I was down 18 in the second half on senior night to Dayton. 
And I kind of looked at my, during a commercial break, I looked at my roommate and my broadcast partner and I was like, yeah, I know. I was like, this kind of stinks. You know, we're going to go out, we're going to lose by 20 and this is going to be our last, our last broadcast and our last time in the Ryan Center. And then they pulled off a magical comeback and, you know, it was a double overtime thriller and they were able to win. And honestly, there wasn't really a better way to kind of send it off for me. You know, you don't get much more exciting than that. Obviously I wish there, you know, could have been fans in the building because the place would have been an electric factory, but um, you know, being able to see that and the way they, they stormed back and played so well was, was really cool to see. It was kind of a nice way to, to send, send it off for me to kind of conclude my experience with the radio and with the basketball team, you know, in a game like that. Well, touching upon the Dayton Flyers, let's get right into URI's game tomorrow. They play at 3.30 on March the 4th. That's down there at the Siegel Center in VCU. Colin, what do you think about this Dayton team? I think they are a scary team. I know they've been kind of up and down all year, but they've got some great offensive weapons. I like E.B. Watson and Jalen Crutcher. I would expect Crutcher to kind of ball out in this game. I mean, this is his last go-around in a Flyer uniform last year. It didn't go out the way Dayton wanted it to. They were number two in the country, and then coronavirus hit and shut down the tournament. So they want to avenge that magical season from last year. So does Jalen Crutcher. And obviously an up-and-down team, but they can definitely be explosive. And Omzeal is also an underrated scorer. So this team's got a lot of offensive firepower, definitely. Yeah, speaking about up and downs, Con, I mean, I wrote down this Dayton team. It, it's the epitome of a classic Dan Hurley URI team in my mind. You, you, you win the big games at home against VCU, Dayton, but, but then you lose to Fordham and LaSalle. Like, like Dayton has, they lost to LaSalle, they lost to Fordham, but they also have wins over St. Bonaventure, and they beat St. Louis twice. So, And that I agree with you. This team revolves around Jalen Crutcher. I mean, you've heard this many times before. Sure, you know, E.B. Watson, solid guard, great shooter. Shamanga and Amzil, they're good bigs. I mean, they're top, they're top half in the league in bigs. But talk about an 18.2 per points per game score like Jalen Crutcher in 2020-2021, 8-10 first-team selection. I mean, he is the glue, the rubber cement, whatever you want to call him. Dayton is successful in my mind because of Jalen Crutcher and the 13-8 and seed fly, flyers are coming off a win at St. Bonaventure already has dropped two straight since their comeback win versus Dayton. Kevin, what do you have on this Flyers team? Well, I think the key you know, to beating Dayton and the key, um, you know, to tomorrow's game for your eyes going to be playing a full 40 minutes on the offensive end. When they lost that game at UD arena, they missed their first 15 field goals in the second half. Um, and the key also is going to be neutralizing Crutcher. Cause like you have, have both mentioned uh, he can score from all three levels. He's not only one of the most talented guys in the, you know, Atlantic 10, he's one of the more talented guards in the country um he can he can really shoot it he plays good defense but also another guy they're gonna have to watch out for is the last time they played these two at the ryan center zimmy nawokaje had 29 points and shot nine for 10 from the field his previous career high before that game was 12 um and he absolutely lit up the Rams. so that's going to be someone they're going to have to to look out for because obviously he was able to exploit them last time and in that first meeting um eb watson played really well he played well in the second time too he had 16 points uh so i think you're really going to have to those are three guys that they're going to have to shut down and they're also going to have to compensate for the fact that they're not going to have jeremy shepherd and that's a, a big loss 
Um, that's something that obviously, you know, I really feel for the kid as senior. Um, it's very unfortunate that he's not going to be able to go. But Ishlaget had 18 points the last time these two played in that double overtime win. I think if they're going to win, he's going to have to have a big game. Um, and I think they're I think they're ready to go. I think it should be competitive. I actually uh, talked to Ish the other day in an interview for an um, and an article that I'm writing um, that should come out tomorrow. And he said that they just want to win and that he just wants to win and he's ready to to go out there and and to show what he can do. So I think, you know, if he's able to get in double digit scoring and then maybe get a double digit game from Antoine Walker as well, because, you know, in that in that Duquesne game, Fats really had no help. He had 27 points, but there really wasn't a lot of help on the offensive end. So they're going to have to be efficient. They're going to have to score for 40 minutes. Um, you can't have a six, seven, eight minute drought in there. Um, and I think you're going to need somebody like initially get to step up and, and produce a lot on both ends of the floor, but particularly the offensive end. I mean, he's a guy like Gavin and I have talked about so much. We both like how he plays on both ends of the floor. So definitely going to need him to step up. And I mean, for you or I pretty much, every game they play in this A-10 tournament, their season's on the line. Like, if they lose, they're done. There, there's no chance they can get an auto bid at this point. So it's pretty much just survive in advance. Like, as Kevin Millar, the Red Sox once said, don't let us win tomorrow. So if you or I can get on a roll here, I mean, who knows what can happen. They proved it a couple of years ago, and they beat VCU in that A-10 tournament, and they went to the semis. They lost, but who knows? If they can get on a roll, they, they can make a little run here. And I think... They really have to win the battle in the glass. Shimonga is just a rebounding machine. He grabs up to eight boards per game. He's proven he can just feast down low. So Antoine and Mikel are going to need to step up and contain him. And you are just got to sell the offense down. They they took a lot of four shots in that road loss at Dayton earlier in the year. So if they can take consistently good shots, then I think they have a chance to win this game. And then the last key for me is just got to feed Fats Russell. These Big moments are where he thrives the most. I expect him to show up on Thursday afternoon. I think he's going to have a hell of a ball game. So I think you just got to give the ball to the most experienced and talented player. He's proven that he can play on this stage. So just give him the ball and you know watch the magic happen. We are indeed hoping for that magic tomorrow. For me, Evan, you two have touched upon the offense and not having any droughts for me. Defense, defense, defense. I feel like for a stretch now, this Rory defense is surprisingly getting worse. I don't know if it's just me, but they started off pretty well at the beginning of the year. I mean, obviously the Arizona State game wasn't too good. It was the first game, but I feel like their defense has kind of been the lifeblood of the team. And like Duquesne, uh, George Washington, slowly just been getting worse. And so as the offense starts to click a little more, the defense fails to rise to the occasion. I believe that the Rams got to keep Dayton under 70, 75 points if they want to have a chance to pull off this first round upset against the Flyers. My second key, got to keep the ball in the right hands without Jeremy Shepard on the court. The whole team must step out without their veteran guard and win the turnover battle. Malik Martin is slated to start for Jeremy Shepard, and the last thing you want to do is lose momentum because you're making sloppy passes and turning the ball over. If you're you right, you got to create turnovers on defense, which can be the biggest momentum stealer, especially in a three- to four-day winner-go-home tournament where Rhode Island has succeeded in the past. So, yeah, and then I think finally it just starts with Jalen Crutcher. I mean, he's the life and blood of this Dayton Flyers team, whether it's Fats or Ish or whoever's guarding him. 
the all-conference guard needs to keep him cool and allow no easy looks, not just from outside, but you cannot let this man drive to the hoop. He's so good under the basket with his finishing moves that if you let him drive to the basket, one easy look, he's going to get a shot up, a clean shot, and he's going to get it to go. I think he's so dangerous, as you mentioned, Kevin, from all three facets of the offense. So I feel Jalen Crutcher, you got to neutralize him and you got to make sure he doesn't have one of those killer games, which, you know, he looks like one of the best guards in the country. So that's going to do it for our preview of the Dayton game tomorrow. But the A-10 tournament did kick off today. The Wednesday Night Pillow fight, we had a pair of games. So we got a couple of A-10 tournament preview kind of segments where we have our own little kind of predictions here. Colin, I'm going to start with you. Who's your biggest threat to win the A-10 tournament? So I'm not going to go with St. Bonaventure. I'm going to go with St. Louis. I think they have a favorable side of the bracket even with St. Bonaventure on their side they are going to be most likely playing UMass first in the second round I'm going to go ahead and make that assumption and then the Bonnies in the semis and they beat UMass 78-57 and St. Bonaventure 70-59 to earlier this season so they've proven they can have success against both these teams and I mean this four is just a great pair you got French Goodwin Perkins and Jimerson I think they're too much to handle with this Billikens team I know that a slew of their games were canceled this year they had an up and down season just because of COVID kind of wrecking their game plan but I still like the Billikens I think they're a deep team and I think they've got a pretty good chance to win this Kevin who's your big threat in this year's tournament I'm gonna agree with Colin I think uh St. Louis um, as, as a very physical team, they really can pound it inside. They have a lot of talented guys uh, with uh, Perkins, Goodwin, French, like Colin was saying. But another team that I think nobody's talking about, and I think people should be talking about more, is Davidson. Uh, they're the three seed. Uh, they do would have to potentially uh, face George Mason if they were to take care of business against George Washington tomorrow. And George Mason's been hot recently. Um, but I think Davidson, you know, anytime you have an experienced coach like Bob McKillop, uh, who's been there before, who's won an Atlantic 10 title back in 2018, uh, they have Kellen Grady, they have some talented guys on that team. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Davidson winning out in Richmond this week and heading to uh, and heading to Dayton next weekend for the final. I'm not disagree with both of you. I'm going to go with the one seed St. Bonaventure Bonnies. I mean, they're looking like the team to beat in the A-10. I mean, sure, they lost the day in their last game, but look, look at the hit. They have Kyle Lofton, Oshano Suni, Jalen Attaway, Dominic Welsh. The list goes on. They've been on a roll. The turnovers uh, for them have gone down, not to mention a complete 180 from the start of the conference season. They now stand at the top of the league in three-point shooting. So, Mark Schmidt's team, I think, is poised for a deep run, and I wouldn't be surprised for the least bit seeing them in Dayton, Ohio next Sunday. Now we're going to move on to our biggest dark horse. I'm going to start here because I just want to get out the gate. Uh, I don't know if this is a dark horse, but I, I guess because I didn't mention no one's talking about them, the Davidson Wildcats. I mean, this team, I feel like, is a, is a hit-or-miss team, but this year it's been mainly a hit, especially in conference play. I mean, when this Davidson offense gets going, they are not just one of the best in the conference, but the best in the nation. They have the tools with Carter Collins, Kellen Grady, Hyung Jung Lee, Luka Brejkovic. I mean, they have the weapons and the tools to make noise in the three, in the three as a three-seed in the tournament. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair pick. I'll, I'll get into Davidson a little later, but my dark horse to win, I'm going to go with the Dayton Flyers. I, I know they've had an up and down year, as we talked about before, but if if Crutcher and Watson catch fire and shoot lights out and you got Chamanga feasting down low in the post, I think they could really make a run. This is a hit or miss team, obviously, but Anthony Grant is capable of leading this Flyers team to an unexpected run, and I, I don't think I would be that surprised if they're in the semifinals. I think for me, um, not to necessarily win the tournament, but a team that could potentially uh, cause some upsets and potentially even make it to the semifinals is Richmond. Richmond is a really, really talented team, a team that beat Kentucky, a team that was in the AP Top 25. Granted, they've uh, definitely been struggling. There's no doubt about that. Just had a, a bad loss on Monday night uh, to, to George Washington, but I think, you know, when you have Jacob Gilliard and you have Grant Golden, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they beat Duquesne and then potentially give St. Bonaventure a lot of problems on Friday. Uh, they're a well-coached team. They're also going to be playing um, not in there. I believe they'll be playing that game in the Siegel Center, but still playing, you know, close to home. And I think that's a team, the Spiders, that was really on the bubble up until they lost uh, that game to, to George Washington and then dropped all the way to an eight seed. They're a lot better than an eight seed. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they if they made it to Saturday. Yeah, it's surprising how these standings work out. Obviously, COVID did its justice against these teams not being able to play a full 18-game schedule. So we don't know if we would have saw a Richmond if they would have turned it on or if they would have came down off it. So obviously a little different this year where every game mattered the most. And you or I going 7-10 and 10 didn't really help. I mean, thank God they played all their games because it was just great to see continuous basketball. They didn't get COVID cross their fingers. They don't get anything this weekend. But let's head right into the most underrated player in the tournament. Kevin, who is your most underrated player in the 8-10 tournament? Well, that's a tough, that's a tough question. Um, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Yuri Collins from St. Louis. Um, he's a really good ball handler. He's a good defender. I think when a lot of people talk about that St. Louis Billiken team, they talk about Hassan French, they talk about Jordan Goodwin, reasonably so. But Collins is kind of the guy, along with um, Javante Perkins, that kind of makes that team tick. Um, and is able to run the offense. They control the tempo. Uh, they take care of the ball. They win the turnover battle frequently. Um, and he's a, a, a very, very key piece for Travis Ford that I don't think a lot of people talk about. I think that's a good pick. For me, I'm going to go... I don't know if he's underrated because a lot of people know him, but... Young Jung Lee from Davidson. I saw this from John Rothstein on Twitter the other day. He said he's the first player in Davidson history to shoot 50% from the field, 40% from three, and 90% from the free throw line. I expect those stats to show up again this week. I think he's going to be a key role player for Davidson. He can shoot the ball incredibly well, and I think he helps the Wildcats in the tournament. So I'll, I'll go with Lee for my uh, underrated player. Both dangerous guards there. I mean, I think Lee plays more of like a guard slash forward, but he really stretches the floor out for a big man like him. I think he's at six seven. So good pick there, Con. I'm gonna go with Jameer Watkins out of VCU. He just came off his six man of the year award victory in the A10 award that came out yesterday. 
so I think he's just proven a lot this year being part of this VCU dominance, dominance in conference play. I mean, he brings a spark off the bench for the VCU Rams at forward and doing the most he can as, you know, this VCU team, they're young, but they're not too deep. So Jameer Watson and Watkins and the role he plays off the bench really helps this VCU team. And it helps him with a little bit more depth as he's just a, a solid player. You can just throw in there. He knows what he's doing. He's a great situational basketball player and it gets the job done getting boards and getting points for this VCU team, which is not too deep. So I think Jameer Watkins could be an underrated player. He might see some minutes, you know, playing over three to four days in a row or, or whether for VCU would be two days, but still you're going to have some tired legs out there. You're going to need to really rotate. And I think Jameer Watson's going to get a lot of minutes and probably going to show out for VCU. And so the final question for Kevin and for, for us three today, who will win the A-10 tournament? Let's start with you, Kevin. Well, I think, you know, this is definitely a kind of a tough prediction, just the way the league has kind of eaten itself up um, over the last few months. Everyone's just been beating everyone. Um, but I think, you know, the team that gets hot is, is going to win. And I think that I really think that St. Louis is going to turn it on. I think they've um, from the beginning are the most talented team. Obviously, they've had some bumps in the road, like Colin was mentioning earlier, um, had a lot of ups and downs, obviously had a lot of COVID issues as well. But I think that's a team that if they can play their style of basketball, uh, they're well coached, they're talented, and they can consistently score um, and, you know, get the ball in the paint and are able to continually, you know, get momentum. I think I wouldn't be surprised, especially I think it's going to go a long way for them that they have the double buy. I wouldn't be surprised if they potentially beat St. Bonaventure in a semifinal if all top seeds were to win out and and then went on to win the next weekend in Dayton. For me, I'm going to go with the Davidson Wildcats. I think their core four of Brajevich, Lee, Collins, and Grady can propel them to an 8-10 championship. I think those are four incredibly talented players they're a very well coached team by Bob McKillop he's in his 32nd season at Davidson he's been around the bend before he took that team a couple of years ago to win that A-10 tournament when they beat URI URI had an auto bid obviously at the time but Davidson stole that bid for the A-10 I think this is a team that just has the characteristics to win an A-10 championship they have experience they have longevity they have depth and they have talent. These are all attributes of this Wildcats team. They're used to the moment. I, I think this year, it's just been a weird year. Obviously, COVID affecting the season. I don't think we can just assume the favorites are going to win. I think it's going to be a team that we don't necessarily expect. I really like the way they played this season. They had a couple close losses early against some great teams, Texas being one of them. So they know how to play against great talent. The A-10 is chock full of great talent. I think Davidson stands out to me the most. So I'm going to go with the Wildcats to win the A-10 tournament. And I'm going to go against both of you there. I'm taking the one-seed St. Bonaventure Bonnies. As I mentioned before, they got the talent with Osuni, Attaway, Welch, and Lofton. They have the coaching and Mark Schmidt, who's been there for teams forever at the helm there in Olean. And I know one-seeds have not had the most success in the past. Right, I mean, we saw URI. They lost a couple years back when they were the ones who did Davidson in the championship. Last year, obviously, we didn't have it. And then the year before, we had VCU go down to URI in the in, in the quarterfinals. So, I mean, 
once these have not had the best of luck in the eight ton tournament, but I think this changes this year. I believe the Bonnie's team will take home the crown on selection Sunday in Dayton. We're going to wrap it up here, looking past the eight ten tournament and looking forward to next season. Guys, what does you or I do moving forward and looking ahead to next year? Well, I think, uh, I think next year is definitely going to be interesting um, just in terms of, you know, it's the post Fats Russell era. Now um, he's kind of been the lifeline of the program for the last few years. And he said uh, after that game against Dayton, that that was his last uh, game inside the Ryan center. So he will not be back uh, with the blanket waiver. Uh, Jeremy Shepard could potentially come back. They did celebrate his senior day uh, on the 23rd, but there has been no, official decision about whether he will be back in Kingston or not uh, for the next season. But I think obviously, you know, you kind of just have to find a new focal point of your offense. I think the Mitchell brothers are only going to get better and better. Um, Antoine Walker will be back. DJ Johnson will be back. Uh, I think Ish Leggett is obviously going to play a really, really important role. It'll be interesting to see uh, a lot in the past off seasons. We've seen a lot of roster turnover at the University of Rhode Island with a lot of guys coming and going, a lot of transfers. So it will be interesting to see once the season wraps up, um, you know, if people are going and, and leaving and how many people stay with the program and, you know, who comes in via the transfer portal. Obviously, Rhode Island had six um, transfers this past year. So I think until that really gets all solved, it'll be tough to guess uh, what this team and what a starting lineup would potentially look like next year. Um, but hopefully everyone will stay. And I think if I was going to give a, a mock starting lineup, it would probably be, um, I think Shepard is going to end up staying. So it would probably be Shepard, Leggett, Martin, Walker, and Mitchell. Um, so similar to, to this year's just without fats, obviously, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, in terms of whether the, the pressure gets on for Cox as well to start winning next year um, in his what will be his fourth season um, and what kind of schedule they're able to come up with. And the non-conference obviously played a pretty tough one this year, but kind of just played whoever they can. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of difficulties, but yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting team that will definitely need a new identity. I think for me, it's just kind of fostering the talent that they have already. I mean, I get this was a rough year. They finished under 500 for the first time in a while, it feels like. But they did have a lot of talent. I mean, things didn't go their way, obviously. They didn't execute very well, but they still have a lot of talent. If you get Jeremy Shepard back, I think that's a huge gain for this team. And then I think a focal point for this team and David Cox has just developed the Mitchell Twins. I think we've seen bright spots from them, but they just haven't been able to finish down low. The free throw shooting has been iffy from them. I think there's a lot of raw talent with both those players in Makai and Mikel, but we just haven't seen the the adjustment yet. And I get they didn't play much in the Big Ten of Maryland, but I think a season under their belt will help. I think Makai will be ready when he comes back from injury, hopefully. But I think those two, if, if they can get going and reach their ceiling, then that this offense is going to be pretty good. So I think it's just about continuing to foster that talent they have already. I don't think they need to take a deep dive in the transfer portal again. Keep getting in those scholarship players and 
create a roster that has a lot of continuity because you know this year there wasn't really much at all you only had three returners and Fats and Antoine are the only regular minutes players I mean Jermaine doesn't play a lot so I mean obviously not having Fats is a big loss but there's other guys that can step up I think Ish is going to be a great player you mentioned it before so I think not all hope is lost but I think if this team doesn't you know compete as well then David Cox seat gets a little hotter I mean we've we've seen it this year we've seen the talk so I mean I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on him if he doesn't turn this ship around it's definitely difficult I mean taking over after Dan Hurley took that team to the round of 32 after they beat Oklahoma that's not easy at all I mean they lost so many players they lost EC they lost Jared Terrell so it's definitely difficult to rebuild but there's definitely, I think, a lot of pressure on Cox heading into this season. But if those pieces gel, then I think that, you know, it, it won't be as relevant to him as much, I think. I agree with you, Colin, the fact that, you know, I think already people are kind of, you know, not too fond of David Cox with the way the season has gone. So I think especially next year will be his telling year at Rhode Island and, I don't know why Jeremy Shepard would leave. I mean, honestly, he's been around the country. He's been at ECU for a year. He's at College of Central Florida or, or, or Junior College in Florida for two years. He's never really found a true place or one year. He's never really found a true place at a program for more than a year or two. So I honestly don't – I don't think what, what possibly goes through his mind. Like, I mean, you're at Rhode Island. You found a spot. I mean, you, you're going to start next year if you stay. So I believe there's no reason Jeremy Shepard should leave. Obviously, he's younger and – he can use that talent and go elsewhere, like overseas and play some basketball. But I believe that his best shot right now is at playing at Rhode Island uh, again next year. So hopefully they can get Jeremy Shepard back. They'll have some more continuity with their lineup, as you mentioned, Colin, because last year was a whole bunch of swapping. Not to mention, we still got Trez Berry, who redshirted this year, who came in as a freshman from Tennessee. So he's coming in for URI as well. He's going to get to probably play some more. So, And then you have Abdul Sam, who committed to Rhode Island, the recruit from for the 20, class of 2023, I guess. I think it was class 2023 for, oh, no, wait, it's the class of 2024 for Rhode Island, and that's uh, Abdul Sam. So he's coming in. So, again, there's going to be, uh, I think, a little more chemistry there for Rhode Island, especially having you know, a whole offseason offseason last year was so different with a, with uh, a continent continuous team or not the offseason was crazy last year i feel like Rhode Island's going to come out of this stronger with more chemistry i think that's what they have to do if david cox wants to keep his job so i feel like he's gonna have an extra fire extra spark in him in coaching and try to help this team out a lot because thor bjorn you know the pressure's on him as well it's you know if david cox doesn't you know maybe get a double buyer top five in the a10 what are we going to do about it so i think it's going to be a real telling year next year i don't know what really to expect because there's still a lot of things up in the air but Bottom line is David Cox has got to get his team riled up the best he can and try to get a double buy in that A-10, whatever that means, whether it's, you know, just, just sticking with what you got and working with the team that you have and the team that you will have. So that's my thought on Rory next year. So I think that's going to do with Kevin. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on and talking Rody Hoops. I feel like it's always great when we have another person to chat with you, just me and Colin here on Zoom. But to always have another person, especially you, who's been so involved in the URI broadcasting you know, department, it's, it's great to have someone like you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you guys so much uh, for having me. It was uh, a lot of fun and always, always good to talk. Rody Hoops should be a, a good game tomorrow. So I think it's going to be a competitive one, and we'll, we'll, see, what, we'll see what shakes. Let's cross our fingers. Thank you, very much. thank you very much for coming on. All right. Thank you, guys. Have a good night.
So great to have Kevin on there for a little chat there about Rhode Island basketball. Uh, anytime, again, as I said, to have someone on, it's great to have that extra body to talk to. Colin, let's get into the A-10 scores. I've been itching to get into these all night long. We had two games in the Wednesday night pillow fight. And boy, they did not disappoint. Let's start on Wednesday tonight. St. Joe's taking on LaSalle. And St. Joe's taking the six-point victory over LaSalle. They're down five for the break, but outscored the Explorers by 11, 72-66. Ryan Daly had a heck of a game, 23 points to the Hawks, and they're on a four-game win streak. The Hawk will never die in the last couple weeks, so St. Joe's on a bit of a run there. George Washington taking down Fordham by 453-49. Ricky Lindo Jr., the Maryland transfer, had a monster game with 21 points in 14 Rebounds, Colin. Let's take a look at the upcoming games in the A-10 standings, or A-10 tournament, rather. So, of course, we had the Wednesday night pillow fight between LaSalle and St. Joe's, where St. Joe's won, and we had Fordham and George Washington, where George Washington won. So, tomorrow, March 4th, Duquesne takes on Richmond in the 8-9 game. St. Joe's takes on UMass in the 13-5 game. Rhode Island takes on Dayton in the 7-10 game. And George Washington, the 11 seed, takes on the number six seed, George Mason. So those games are all in chronicle order. 11 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 3.30, and 5.30, of course, URI playing at 5.30. Currently, Dayton is favored by three points. But we have a, some great – I think we have a lot of competitive games tomorrow, Colin. George Washington, they've had a couple good wins recently over Rhode Island and Richmond. They got the win against Fordham. Uh, George Mason also hot, so that's going to be a good matchup. Rhode Island and Dayton, they've had two solid games this year. St. Joe's and UMass, St. Joe's is hot. Ryan Daly can really lead this team to anything. And then Duquesne and Richmond, obviously, going to be a good one. Richmond favored there by six points. And then looking forward to Friday, that's the farthest we're going to go. St. Bonaventure's can take the winner of that Richmond-Duquesne game at 11. At 1 o'clock, St. Louis is take the winner of that UMass-St. Joe's game. BCU at 3.30 can take the winner of the URI Dayton game. And the Davidson Wildcats are going to take the winner of that George Mason uh, George Washington game at 5.30. So that's basically the lay of the land here in the Atlantic 10. The final 8-10 standings we have St. Bonaventure in first, VCU in second, Davidson surprisingly at third, St. Louis at fourth, UMass at five, George Mason at six, Dayton at seven, Richmond at eight, Duquesne at nine, Ron at 10, George Washington at 11, LaSalle at 12, the St. Joe's Hawks at 13, and of course, Fordham last con. That is the lay of the land of the A-10, and this week it's going to be a great week for A-10 basketball. It certainly will. It's it's surprising URI finished the way they did, but anything can happen. Let's see what they can do. So, Colin, let's take a look around the country. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so let's start with the previous week. This was Friday, the 26th of February. I think we had to move this one. Um, so this was some Friday 10. St. Louis took down Richmond 72-67. to 67. French, Perkins, and Goodwin each scored in double figures. We both have the Billikens there, so both take a win. Moving on to Saturday, the 27th of February, number 18, Texas Tech defeated number 14, Texas, 68-59. Red Raiders snapping a three-game losing streak there. I had Texas Tech. I'll take a win. You had Texas. You'll take a loss there. Moving on to Saturday, the 27th of February, number four, Illinois taking down number five, 20- 
Uh, number 25, Wisconsin, 74 to 69. Coburn dropping 19 to help the Illini get the victory in Madison. We both had Illinois, so we'll take a victory there. Moving on to Sat or sticking with Saturday, rather, the 27th. Number 12, Arkansas took down LSU 83-75. The must bus rolls down in Arkansas, and they are a scary team in March. We both had the Razorbacks, so we'll both take a win there. Sticking with Saturday here, the A-10 game of the week. Davidson took down VCU in that one. Bradjevich drops 15 and for the Wildcats in that win. On Saturday, over the Rams of VCU, we both had VCU, so we'll both take a loss there. Moving or sticking with Saturday, the 27th, mid major game of the week, UC Riverside took down UCSB or UC Santa Barbara. 68 52 was the final there. Another mid major game of the week upset. The Gauchos dropped that one against the Highlanders. And now we finish here. Sunday, the 28th of February, number five, Iowa took down number seven, Ohio State, 73-57. Hawkeyes just mopped the floor with the Buckeyes in that one. We both had Ohio State, so we'll both take a loss there. Looking at our record for this week, we both went four and three this week. That brings my overall record to 29 and 22 and your overall record to 26 and 25. Also, the score of that Davidson game was 65-57. So, Colin, no real adjustment in the standings there. Um, just didn't work out for me, I guess. Still down three games, but still trying to make somewhat of a comeback here. We got five games for you guys this week. We'll start on Wednesday, which is tonight. Number 14, Creighton goes on the road. Number 10, Villanova at 8.30 on FS1. Colin, who do you got? I'll go with Villanova. They lost the last time out against Creighton, so I expect they make up some hay here. I'll take the Creighton Blue Jays. They're doing pretty well right now in the in the Big East, and they're fighting for that one spot with Villanova. I think they go to Philadelphia and take the victory. On Thursday, we got a couple games. We'll start in the Big 12. Number 17, Oklahoma State goes on the road to Waco, Texas, to take on a number three, Baylor Bears. I'll go with Baylor. Just can't lose picking, up, picking against Baylor. They had a great win against West Virginia uh, yesterday, so I'll stick with the Bears. Baylor finally losing over the weekend to Kansas by 13, but can't go against the Baylor Bears here. That's a once-in-a-season thing, I think. Baylor's going to be a Final Four team. When you look at it, there's they got the talent, Maceo Teague, uh, Jared Butler. They got shooters, and there's a great team on offense. So I'll take the Baylor Bears as well. Also on Thursday, the Red River Rivalry Part 2 hitting the hardwood, number 15, Texas, going on the road, number 16, Oklahoma. I'll go with Oklahoma. I I think Texas could win, but I'll flip and I'll, I'll pick the Sooners here. Oklahoma has been struggling as of late. I'll take the Longhorns on the road. On Friday, the mid-major game of the week, Old Dominion goes to Western Kentucky and Charles Bassey. That game's at 8 p.m. Colin, who do you got in that one? I like what I saw from Western Kentucky earlier in the season against URI. I think Charles Bassey's going to have a big game, so I'll stick with the Hilltoppers here. I'm going to agree there. Charles Bassey and company, Tavian Hollingsworth, great team down there in Western Kentucky. They're going to take the victory, in my mind, over Old Dominion. And our last game on Saturday at 4 p.m. on ESPN, number four, Illinois, goes to Columbus to take on the number seven Ohio State Buckeyes in a blockbuster Big Ten battle. I mean, Illinois just beat Michigan without Io DeSumo, so that tells me a lot about the Illini, so I think they're going to get the road win here. 
yeah, I mean, you can't really go against them now after being Michigan. They, they really proved themselves lately. They they did well early in the year. They struggled a little bit through December and January, but they really seemed to find their stride in, in March when they needed to. So buying for that one seed in the NCAA tournament are the final Illini. And I think they uh, sim, like submit that legacy, taking down Ohio State on the road. That's going to do it for today's podcast. Again, thank you for Kevin Wayner for coming on, joining the podcast in this one. We got a big week coming up. If Brown does win tomorrow on Thursday against Dayton, expect another podcast coming out tomorrow night. So we'll up, uh, update you for the VCU game on Friday. So it's going to be a hectic week. Hopefully you or I can you know, stretch this out. They've made it to the 8-10 semifinals every year except one since 2014. So historically been a great 8-10 tournament team. So hopefully we can give you some more podcasts coming out over the weekend as you or I continues their A-10 stretch. That's going to do it. As always, stay safe and roadie, roadie, roadie.